Welcome, Hooters and Cooters, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Compare Podcast, Monday Night My name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 215, the March 1987 issue, on sale December 9th of 1986, with a cover price of 75 cents. This one's called Old Soldiers. Not my favorite cover. Um, it, this cover uh, uh, is terrible. <laughs> it's it's uh, a good picture of Storm uh, kind of action. Actually, it's not very good. It, what it re- really reminds me of is like a new uh, action figure advertisement that you would expect to see for G.I. Joe. Introducing the new characters of Cobra, Stonewall, Super Saber, and Crimson Commando. And then Storm is not Storm. She's Snake Eyes and she's fighting them. <laughs> or it's... They're Joes and it's Storm Shadow. Oh, well, either way, it's it's like li- uh, introducing a new round of toys to a lineup. Um, that really... would line up better with the plot of this issue because they would just assume that Storm Shadow is bad. But maybe it's after Storm Shadow has seen the light of ways and it's right before he joins the G.I. Joe team and gets that awful new costume. Uh, the one with the hood? The one with the hood and the random stripes. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when I was a kid, um, I uh, had lucked. You probably had, you had the ton of GI Joes, didn't you? I had a few. Uh, I lucked out and went to a Kmart, and they had an original Storm Shadow, and I bought it, and I played with it, and I loved it, and it was awesome. And I, he came with so many accessories. He had, I think, two swords, and a. I think he had a bow, and he had throwing stars, and all that sort of stuff. And then, of course, I broke them and stuff. And then I got the new Storm Shadow, um, and I felt the same way. I was like, this isn't the same. Yeah, I had the original Storm Shadow. never had the original Snake Eyes, though. The Yeah, I never had uh, either of the first two um, Storm or Snake Eyes. I had the one where he had, like, little blue goggles or something. Oh, you got the lame one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was Storm the, Shadow. I, or, I mean, it was Snake Eyes, so I had to have them, but it wasn't the cool one. Yeah, that was when he had a, you know, he, he's he has a he has a terrible fashion. You should have just stuck with the black visor. I got the one with the black visor, the Uzi, and the wolf. The second, that was the one. yeah, the second uh, release, right? Yeah. I thought the uh, the the toys that made us. I finally watched that. I thought the explanation for Snake Eyes was pretty interesting. They yeah. just they just decided to do nothing, <laughs> and that was Snake Eyes. Paint it black. Okay. Anything else? Nope. Just and black. That, and that's the most popular character. What? <laughs> Yeah, so anyways, not much to write home about uh, on this cover. It's not even a background. It's just like an orange uh, to yellow gradient. Uh, also, I should mention... Fighting on the sun. Yeah, I should mention... Uh, we talked about this a little bit last episode, but uh, this friggin' issue isn't collected anywhere. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this could still be a part of Mutant Massacre as far as the collection goes, because the last issue was kind of outside of the spectrum of that as well. But yeah, this is this is not collected anywhere. Totally, totally. I mean, the next eight issues aren't collected. So this Marvel, come on, uh, Epic Edition. Something. Do you have this issue? I have this issue, yeah. I have this entire, I have all of the issues from here on out to like, I don't know, 315 maybe. So the next 100 issues. Oh, wow. Yeah, something like that. Maybe even further, I I don't know. Somewhere I have a spreadsheet that details all of the comic books that I have. I see. So let's open this thing up and we get a... 
scene of an airplane, a 747, crashing. And it's essentially a four-panel description of what Madeline Pryor felt and saw as she, as we have learned, was the sole survivor of a crashed 747 on the same day that Jean Grey died on the moon. Right? That's how that works? Yeah, that's how that works. I think so. Okay. Um... We find out that the airplane was carrying some smuggled military goods, and that's why it exploded. Or was uh, it the, the same day that she crashed into the water, and they like, uh, and and the phoenix showed up? Yeah, I feel like I always get those two confused. Like it would make more sense if when Phoenix Jean dies is the day that Madeline walks away from the crashed 747 and the day that Madeline disappears is the day that Jean comes back. At least I feel like that's how it's worked out in Scott's head. Hmm. But I also feel like maybe when she arose out of Jamaica Bay is the day that Madeline crashed. Yeah, I think that might be right because remember Scott was going through the archives in X Factor number 11 and it's like the same day the star core crashed that was the day yeah. phoenix was born but if phoenix could hide her then madeline could be hidden and gene right. and phoenix and madeline everybody's know. the same i know some listener out there is like you idiots you just read this so feel free to like email us and like straighten us out on this because uh i i like the gene madeline arc uh, of this story it gets dragged out far too long but i do like it and it would be nice to be sort of uh somewhat educated and correct on it but in in any event uh we get this little montage of the airplane crashing, her walking away, and there's a phoenix emblem around her. Yeah, which is, that's a dead giveaway right there. But I wonder, is this supposed to be more, um, um, how do I put this? Like, more, like, did that happen? Uh, or is this more of like a dream slash visual for the audience? Well, I believe that this is just a memory that she is having, okay. which means that that fire not didn't necessarily look that way. But as she's waking up in the back of an ambulance, she she said or she thinks to herself, "I close my eyes, but the flames dance in my mind, brighter and fiercer than they had in reality, forming crazy patterns, singing a mad song, a bird made of stars rising forever from its ashes." Ah. So not necessarily real, but it's what she's she's thinking about right now. So then we cut to the present where she's in the back of a different ambulance or the same ambulance? Uh, well, yeah, the, the different. Ambulance. Uh, it's a different ambulance. It's the same ambulance, but I'm assuming that the we see her walking towards something and then. That's when I think we cut to the present. I think you're right. So in, in all of the years that I've read this, this is the first time where I sort of connected that maybe maybe these first two pages are the memory. And this next page that we're about to talk about is the present, which makes, makes way more sense than like all of it happening when the Star Corps crashed. Yes. Because there's marauders in this scene. <laughs> it's... it's um, I like the sequence, but I feel like there could be like just a little balloon there to transition us to now present. And then Madeline continuing on with the haze and I'm in the thing and whatever, but whatever. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I actually, I reading the the things, I think you're kind of right. I think that first panel with the old, with the ambulance is just a transitionary. I think in that panel, she's in the present and she's still in the past because the fire is in the background. Right. Right. So that's, I think the transition. Agreed. Uh, so anyways, the ambulance driver and the nurse are Arc Light and uh, Gun Guy. Um, gun Haver. Gun Haver. What's his name? Uh, scalp Scalp cutter. Hunter. <laughs> scalp Haver. 
<laughs> and she wakes up and she's like, something's missing. I'm missing something. And she freaks out. And she's like, my baby, where's my baby? What have you done with him? She punches uh, uh, Arclight across she the face. Face palms Arclight. Yeah. It's like a face palm. Yeah. Don't get in the way of a, a mother and her cub. She pushes the ambulance doors open and falls or perhaps jumps. It's hard to tell. Backwards into the street from a moving vehicle and she says, ow! Any landing you walk away from is a good one, she thinks to herself and trying to get her uh, senses, she realizes that the, the medics or the marauders are now chasing after her. She heads into an alleyway and she's thinking to herself that a name pops into her head. Uh, Arclight Scalpunter Cyclops. The last name is my husband. Why isn't he here? It's because of him those marauders said they grabbed me and my son. They won't keep either of us. So we, I guess we don't really know where she was grabbed from, but the Marauders grabbed her and her son is what she's remembering. And she blended those thoughts with the thoughts of that original airplane explosion. Which, I'm assuming they drugged her. Yeah, yeah, which is all fine. I'm, I don't need I don't need all that spelled out for me. This is good enough. Arclight does some, some Arclight mutant power to make her fall down. Scalp Hunter builds a gun out of the gear on his body and shoots her in the face, I believe. I don't think she shoots her in the face. Uh, I think because, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it kind of looks like that. But I mean, we know later that it, that's not what happens. Right. It. I mean, the only reason I draw that conclusion is because the panel is shattering with the apex right at her forehead. And uh, yes. Scalp Hunter is like, we need to finish the job. And Scalp Hunter aims the gun almost point blank at her, but... So we'll learn we must more. assume that Madeline Pryor is dead. Yes, Madeline Pryor is dead. So ends that story, and Scott can come back from Alaska and be with Gene. All things uh, end well that end well. Oh, maybe they dump the body in at the end of X Factor 14, so that was her body. <sighs> Wrapped up like a neat little bow. I agree. Yowza! <laughs> we did it, everybody. Uh, and then, so that was our prologue. Uh, we get our title, Old Soldiers. This is written by Chris Claremont. Alan Davis is back on pencils. Dan Green is back on inks. Dan, uh, Tom Orzakowski is lettering. Glennis Oliver is coloring. And Nascenti's editor and Jim Shooter's the chief. I mean, really, every the band's all back from last issue to this issue. Was Alan Davis last issue? Yeah, man. Wasn't he? I know he was the Sabretooth issue. Didn't we have one in between there? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> Probably no. Uh, oh no, you're right. The band's not back together. Last uh, issue, it was last Barry issue was Smith. BWS. Yeah, yeah, okay. Totally wrong. I was that that issue was so forgettable. <laughs> I know. I and I don't mean that in the way that like it's not a memorable issue. It's just for some reason. Maybe it's the covers like this, or maybe it's just the fact that they haven't been collected in a trade paperback. But this this segment of the X Men, though I've read it, is missing. Oh, from your None mind. None of this is, rings a bell. Um. Okay. Uh, this does only because it's the introduction of su of the three characters we've already talked about. Um, I the story for me was is forgettable, and the next issue. Uh, actually, you're right. <laughs> the entire run up until Fall of the Mutants, um, important stuff happens, but it's uh, it's it is kind of hazy and vague, except for some stuff on Muir Island, which we'll talk about. And speaking of Muir Island, uh, the X Men are packing up the wounded X Men and presumably. Uh, Morlocks to send them off to Muir Island where they will hopefully be um, safer from the Marauders than they would be at the mansion. Betsy asks if it's wise, or she asks Aurora if it's wise to split the X-Men, and uh, Storm says, yeah, we, we kind of have to. 
because they're, they'd be safer there, as you pointed out. We cut to inside the plane where Rogue is lowering Colossus next to Nightcrawler and Kitty Pride, who is no longer in her back-to-tank, but now in a back-to-bed. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we also get a little bit of discussion um, about uh, Longshot and Dazzler. Uh, and Betsy and Storm are kind of debriefing about the issues that they had with um, Malice and how they don't necessarily trust each other. And Dazzler's new and unproven. We don't know if we can trust her. Longshot feels comfortable, but we don't know him. So. And by the way, Psylocke, you're pretty new too. <laughs> yeah. She does not introduce herself as Betsy Braddock, the Psy named Psylocke. Which is oh, she's movie. in now. <laughs> she's established. So the plan she is... Title to herself. So if you don't know her by now, come on. Yeah, so the, the program. So the plan is to send all the newbies and rogue to Muir Island, uh, and Storm and Wolverine are going to do some other stuff. Um, yep. Longshot talks as if, like, I don't know, he's got backstory here. He's like, I really like this place, Storm, and the X Men. It's as if. Uh, here was where I was always meant to be. I feel sad to go away. It's and like they let him out of the basement for the first time. <laughs> Storm's like, uh, yeah, you know, we, we a lot of us died and got hurt while you were safe in the basement. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> he's And he's super stoked about this. He's like really happy. He's a happy guy. I got the same star on my chest that Dazzler has on her chest. Yeah, what's up with that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the Dazzler... Uh, thing was part of her cons- costume that I f- did, did, that the professor designed for her to like contain and control her powers. That will not make any sort of presence in the X Men title. And then Longshot was designed. I don't know by who designed Longshot. Was that Art Adams? I guess so. So I guess these little flare things were. were I thought the... he had a star in his eyeball though. Now he just has a star in his chest. I don't know. Oh, yeah. They we were... should really do more research than this. <laughs> I like speculating uh, way more. <laughs> Dazzler's wearing a Lila Cheney jacket. Yeah, yeah. So says no, Lila on the back. No hard feelings there. Yeah. So the the noobs all get on the airplane and they head off. And Storm goes and finds Wolverine, who's overlooking a cliff, smoking a cigarette. Rogue, uh, as they're leaving, Rogue says, if they can't pull their heads together... Uh, them, them being Wolverine and Storm, the core of the team. The rest of us ain't got a saint's prayer. Wolverine is lamenting the fact that, I don't know, day or so he ago, had, he almost killed Storm. That was not your fault. Yeah, he's not He's not having He's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> Storm reaches out a hand to, to kind of help him up, more of a gesture of like, I trust you and we're partners. And he, he gets up well, on she, his own accord and walks away. She, she needs him to do something. Yeah, and he's going like, to, but... You're my friend, you're my partner, let's go. It's like, eh, all right, whatever. Did you know that when this comic book was published, you could buy X-Men number 141 for $7.50 from American Comics in Warrington, Virginia? Yes. Oh. Okay. Everybody knows that. <laughs> okay. Well, they didn't, they do now. You could buy G.I. Joe number one for $20. I know. And, and it was scarce. <laughs> I want to say that later adverts will show that number two was like even scarcer. And it doesn't say even scarcer. It's <laughs> as like. It was uh, just more money. Yeah. Well, number two becomes worth more than number one at some point of G.I. Mm-hmm. Joe. Yeah. Uh, anyways, so in San Francisco, we switch our attention to the San Francisco General Hospital where a woman who looks like Madeline Pryor is resting in a hospital bed. The doctor and the nurse are flirting, sort of. 
Yep. And Madeline Pryor comes out of her, I guess she's been in a coma. This they, is, they say she got some severe trauma, massive blood loss. Nobody thought she'd last the night. She surprised us, suffering from multiple gunshot wounds. So once again, scalp hunter, terrible shot. <laughs> that's that's what, what he does. His power is to build guns with crap on his body and shoot people and can't do it. Uh, this is definitely pre-Obamacare, as the doctor says. We've done all we can for her, and we need the bed space, especially since, as a Jane Doe, the state picks up the tab. So next week, we'll be transferring her to a custodial facility. Where the state will continue to pick up the tab. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why the state wouldn't pick up the tab here, but they will there. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that was a thing back in the 80s, but that would suck. Uh, but yeah. she, she wakes up. She she kind of works her way out of this slumber, making some noises. And then she's like, am I am I alive? Uh, there's also a comment here about how she came in. She had massive blood loss and multiple gunshots. Uh, and she wasn't supposed to make it through the night, but she's practically on her way. Or physically, she's well on her way to recovery. I wanted to point out that the doctor's name is Julie Schwartz. So maybe is that short for Julian or is he just a guy named Julie? I, I don't know. And the nurse's name is Diane Duane, which is <laughs> yeah. another strange name. But I noticed that, too, especially when he said, Julie, it's your Jane Doe, the woman talking to the man. And I was like, I don't think I mean, there's a lot of uh, typically women's names that have been associated with guys, which is cool. But. Like, Julie, to me, has, like, solidly always been a woman's name. So I'm just wondering if that's, like, a cute, like, nickname for Julian. Maybe. Yeah. Bobby. They are, they are pretty flirty. Yeah. And uh, they're like, well, what's your name? And she's like, Pryor. My name is Madeline Pryor. My name is Madeline Pryor. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> forgot what she sounded like. So Wolverine and Storm are driving to upstate New York. Uh, they're going to go check out Sarah Gray's house because, you know, marauders, friends, outspoken mutant activists. Um, very long set of panels that basically gets to the gist of Wolverine saying, if I can't trust my senses, how can I trust anyone else? And Storm is essentially saying, keep it together. Right. You got to be my rock in this is kind of what, what the gist of this issue is. Uh, they arrive at Sarah Gray's house, which has recently been exploded. Ba-doom, ba-doom. What? It could have happened. Um, Wolverine doesn't sense any death sense, whatever that would be. So nobody died. Storm thinks to herself that everybody they know is in danger and that she has to go warn Forge. And she gets a little flashback of Forge and... Reminds of of his backstory. I guess she's picking up something in this panel. Not really sure if that comes back to. Uh, well, there's there's a weird line of dialogue coming up that I'm gonna kind of question okay. when we get to it. Yeah, she's thinking to herself that her elemental powers are gone. Forge offered her a path to get him back. She's wondering if she should swallow her pride. She'd love to fly again, uh, but she might be a little bit of afraid. A little afraid. Wolverine. Says Sarah's scent is cold. I think she split before the blast. And then she's, he smells Cyclops and a female. No, not again. Well, it can't be. Storm. That's impossible. Storm does chime in because he's like, Cyclops, a former teammate? You know anybody else named Cyclops? <laughs> yeah, it's him and a female. No. And he, he starts running away. No, he doesn't just start running away. 
he shouts, not her, not Jean, and punches Aurora. Well, I was getting to that point, but he starts running away. Storm grabs his shoulder to find out, like, hey, what's going on? I told you a little earlier in the car, I need you to be my rock, I need you to hold together. And yes, he goes into a flat-out, like, horizontal sprint and punches her in the face as he he goes berserk. This feels like a plot contrivance to get from this page to the next page. Well, and next issue, quite frankly. But Who punches somebody on their way out? I think that, I honestly think that Chris Claremont had this planned out, hence the losing control of his, his sense last. Oh, no, the, the, the Wolverine losing control of his sense stuff is great. Oh. I, I just think the fact that he strikes, like, running away, he strikes Aurora and it, it knocks her unconscious. It just, just seems really so bizarre. The way I have always interpreted this panel, and maybe I'm wrong, is that he's just in such a blind fury, um, berserker rage that as he's running away, and as you do as you run, you swing your arms forward and backwards. Like that's just his his left hand, like swinging back as he's reaching forward with his um, his right hand. And uh, uh, Storm just happens to get in the way. Like, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't think he punched I, I, her in I the agree. face. I agree that okay. that's the intent. I mean, he's definitely in a berserker rage. He doesn't intend to do what he he does. I just why uh, it just doesn't feel like Storm would fall unconscious from this, <laughs> well, or that he would, or that he would be like. Why is he using so much aggression? And also, like, I, I guess a, a bigger question I have is like, so he screams, "Not her, not Jean," and he's. You know, it says he loved her while she lived and mourned her when she died. I feel like this really depends on classic X-Men. Because oh. the, the Wolverine that we know, you know, was kind of had a uh, a flirtation with Jean. But I don't ever really feel like he full on loved her. I, yeah, I agree. <clears throat> and unfortunately, the waters get so muddied. With classic X-Men uh, uh, doing what it did with, with the backstories and some of the panel inserts that at sometimes, at least for me, it becomes difficult to remember like, well, what actually happened in the run versus like the special editions? Because uh, as you say, I only recall like a couple of times when he like challenged Cyclops because, you know, you're the guy she needs, but I'm the guy she wants or, you know, something stupid like that. Or in the Phoenix story when she turns into the Phoenix where he shows up with some flowers, but he sees everybody else there. So he throws the flowers in the garbage can, like mm-hmm. those types of scenes. But uh, I don't know that a, like a, like a, a fall down, knock down, like I'm in love with this woman was ever put on page. I think it's just she been, won't... I think the history and the stories and any time it's been brought up and classic X-Men is probably heightened or whatever that what, we're, love. What, what... What works for me is that his his senses are already confused. Like he doesn't – he can't trust his senses and now he's he's sensing Gene who he knows is – or he thinks is dead and he kind of loses his – he goes a little crazy. Right. I don't, I don't think this love stuff is necessary. It just feels – I don't know. It feels a little shoehorned in unless you've read the classic X-Men stuff where they really make it a bigger deal. I guess I could totally agree with that, right? Because it, it would be good enough on its own just to be like, my senses and now I smell Gene. I can't handle this. Ah, I'm crazy. Now I'm running away. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
I guess. This makes for a better story. I don't know. How can her scent be here? Day, uh, barely a day old. How can Jean Grey possibly be alive? And he runs away, leaving Storm unconscious. Indeed he does. And so on the jet, we get a very lengthy uh, sequence of Kitty thinking about how she can't talk, how she's discorporating, how she needs to stay in her tank or she'll fade away. And she goes in to kiss Longshot because uh, he's so handsome. Gosh, he's so beautiful. I'll never have a chance to tell him. Not the way a boy and girl should. It isn't fair. I don't want to die. Why can't somebody save me? Why does everything... Okay, blah, blah, blah. So th- then she leans in and kisses him, and Longshot wakes up and Kitty, wait, please, come back. So this is, this is an important thing that uh, happens, and then goes away for a long time and then comes back uh, where when she touched me, my mind filled with images of her past as if I could read who she was, just like I was doing in the mansion (laughs) that you never saw. And that I'm telling you now there is a sense of a future too. everything is jumbled. Uh, So he's this is it's a weird uh, as I could read who she was the same as I've been doing the X-Men house. So has he just been walking around the house and touching the walls and like, yeah. There's memory there. Yeah. Oh, you got you got history. So was was this particular power discussed in the Longshot Limited series? Because I honestly don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember either. Okay. So I mean, the idea is that Longshot, in addition to his luck, he can get psychic impressions of people and things when he touches them. This feels really out of character for Kitty. It does. I mean, who walks up to somebody and kisses them? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think. Let's- the only reason it exists is for Chris Claremont to tell us that um, Longshot's got this power. I think. Or maybe, 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 uh, maybe I'm willing to accept that Longshot's weird charisma power is so strong that Kitty is not completely under control of her actions. And plus, she's already a little distraught. She thinks she's going to die. So I can, I can, I guess I can let it slide. <laughs> can you? I can do it. Okay. I can do it, man. Okay. Um, yeah. And then Rogue's like, oh, I guess, I guess it could be death. A poor little kid talking about the psychic impression that Longshot got from Kitty. Storm wakes up in uh, a jail cell or so she kind of thinks the, the surroundings are old, but the chains are new. Fortunately, she's got a lock pick in her collar. So she's able to pick the lock and sneak around the, the structure. She passes like a junky looking girl. She did not hear Wolverine shout Jean Grey. No, he, she didn't. She was not. She says, Wolverine's found something in Sarah's house that snapped him over the edge. But what? Yeah. So, so Storm is wandering around, kind of snooping around this house and she reasons that she's at some sort of a hunting lodge or something. Yeah, she, she sees trophies of uh, animals, as well as uh, trophies of a former war. There's a Nazi flag. There's some shrapnel. There's a it looks like a a tank bullet. So these guys were clearly in a war, whoever they might be. And so as she's snooping around, she spots three silhouettes walking towards the house. Uh, so she hops up like a kitty cat onto a, a second floor. It's pretty impressive. Very impressive. Yeah, I couldn't do that. And then she only sees two people actually uh, enter the building, and she's like, what? Where's the third? And it's Crimson Commando who has snuck up behind her. And they are talking about the, the two on the floor, talking about how they just killed some dude. Yes. Sort of important. Not really, but a little bit. So the, the what is, Saber? Super Saber? No. The, the, who is this red guy? 
Crimson Commando. Okay, Crimson Commando grabs uh, Storm, sneaks up on her. So I guess they did see her. And she manages to get the jump on him, kicks him in the face. She says, well, well, in for a penny, in for a pound, tosses him over the uh, balcony. He lands on a table, smashing. Then the Super Saber, uh, who is a speed, who has a speed power. I guess these guys are mutants. So he's just a speed hero. Speedster. He's a speedster. Yeah, he's a speedster. Yeah. She even says so. A speedster. These men have superpowers. Yep, she runs up the stairs, uh, and uh, before we go any further, I have to interrupt and say Mile High Comics had X-Men 141 for $4. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, I thought the other one was 144 What did I say? I meant 140, 140, 140, 141 No, man. Wait, one, which, 141 which, is, the, uh, is the Days of Future Past. Oh, and it was $7 at the other one? $7.50. $4 here. Oh, man. I know, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, she is, Super Saber's like, um, I'm the fast, one of the fastest men alive, and this is uh, my Mach 1 punch, and he punches the air a whole bunch, which causes the air to punch her off the balcony. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, I, I'm okay with it. And I like she, the Mach 1 punch. And she bounces off Stonewall, who's like, I'm Stonewall, and I can't be knocked down. Kind of like Juggernaut and Blob, just a little smaller. Better call it quits before I get yay, and she... Raises her hands to poke out his eyes and he flinches and that allows her to jump backwards, uh, flip backwards actually, uh, and pull the rug out from underneath Stonewall who then lands on the Crimson Commando. Goddess, what a weight, she says as she pulls out the rug. What a gal, reminds me of Yankee Clipper. Yankee Clipper, what? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Of of Yankee Clipper. It's a crying shame. She's a crook. She, she probably had... speaks really fast. What a gal. Reminds me of Yankee Clipper. It's a crying shame. She's a crook. So she uh, heads out towards the door, but the speedster, of course, gets in front of her, blocking the door, then grabbing her from behind. And he uses microsonic finger snapping to knock her out. Microsonic boom. And that works. It knocks her unconscious. We cut to later where the strung out girl in the basement and Storm are now... At the front of this cabin, uh, the strung out girl asks where Tommy is, and I'm presuming that's the guy that they were talking about earlier who begged for his life and they killed. Tommy's dead. Faux show. So the background is these guys were government heroes hired to fight wars and I don't know. (laughs) Eventually the government was like, you can't be part of our program anymore, so you should retire. And they did. The government wouldn't let, oh, because of the, uh, the stinking reds. Those commie simp bleeding heart fellow travelers were afraid of a third world war, a nuclear war. They told us our work was done. Maybe we should cut loose anyway, followed our glory to our hearts, but instead to our eternal shame, we did as we were told and retired. But not anymore! Yeah, so they are a team of superpowered people who take the law and they're vigilantes, right? So when the when the police system fails, here comes the A-team. I mean, the supersonic Crimson Commando Stonewall team. So this uh, woman from the basement is Priscilla Morrison. You wouldn't know it to look at her, but she comes from one of the finest families in Newport. She and her gentlemen dealt drugs. They were major dealers before they graduated high school. They didn't need money. Or power. They did it just mostly for the thrill. And yet, because of family connections and corruptions, they remained virtually immune from punishment, or so they thought. So apparently they've been stalking them for months. 
And you, honey, you were found red-handed outside of an exploded civilian's house. And you were holding some stuff. You're a looter. I'm I'm guessing this is the sentence you had some problems with? Yeah, she was unconscious. How was she holding on to stuff? <laughs> Whatever she had picked up was so important that she clutched it even harder when she was smacked in the face. Still, she was unconscious. <laughs> I, why do you why do you say, "Oh, this woman who was unconscious at the scene of a crime clearly must have caused the the crime?" Well, I'm I don't take issue with that so much. Um it would have been okay for me for them just to draw the conclusion that you were found outside of a freshly exploded house. We don't take well to arsonists, right? Right. But, but yeah. they but they go on to further be like we don't handle looting. So they're like, you didn't cause the explosion, but then you came and tried to steal something from the exploded house. And that is where we hunt the most dangerous game. It's it's because they want to tie it to the fact that Storm used to be a thief. I guess. These guys don't know that. I know, but we do. And, and it's, it's it's sort of... It's it's a it's a it's a connection that I think Chris Claremont is trying to make, but I it's just you're right. It would have been better if they just called her an arsonist. Yeah, it's very thin. But Storm is like, well, I uh, I don't really care much for looters either. The family who lived there were friends, and those possessions possibly evidence to tell me who set that fire. If you thought me a criminal, you were mistaken. But I know that you will not accept that. And even if you did, you couldn't let me go because I know too much. So off we go. Like you said, and she takes off her sweater and just leaves it behind. I'm not sure what is it's like she says in the next page that it's a it's a grand gesture taking off her sweater. I don't know. I think she was just trying to be tough. Like, I'm, all right, I'm going to get into my my suit. <laughs> I don't know. It's dumb. It so doesn't it make like, any I'm, sense. I'm ready to go and yeah. I'll show you by taking off my sweater. Maybe she Can't thought wear. that if she sacrificed her sweater, they'd be like, oh, you ain't so bad after all. <laughs> oh, she left us a sweater. <laughs> You're all right. Super Saber's been looking for a sweater. It gets mighty breezy when he runs. Yeah. So what, I want to know what the possessions were. I don't know. Burnt pictures. Does she still have them? Can yeah. we talk about them? I don't know. So, yeah, she, she, the two women, Priscilla and Storm, are on like a, like a hilltop. And, uh, Priscilla's kind of like, oh, my feet hurt. I'm tired. And Storm's like, all right, well, I should probably just leave her because she's going to hold me back. But, uh, I wouldn't be humane. So I'll try to keep her with me. Here's where she says, I was a thief. I did those childhood crimes place me forever beyond the pale without hope or forgiveness of redemption. So that that I think is the the point of making her a looter. Yeah. Earlier, uh, when she was captured by the three and in the basement, she's like, "Oh, I, I wonder if these guys have Wolverine or if Wolverine's on his way." And now she's like, uh, "No sign of Wolverine. He's had plenty of time to catch me. I have to assume he will not be coming. I thought his spirit would be stronger, but then I thought so of my own." Well, this we go. child may be scum of the earth, but face has placed me in her charge, and that is a trust I will not betray, no matter what the cost. And we get a panel of the three commando people running after them. And I have to assume that the fast guy, you know, is either running really slow so that he doesn't speed past them or he just like waited He's until doing... they were like way, way, way ahead. He was like, you guys go up ahead, not catch up. And then they'll do this awesome panel as I'm like running past you. He's doing laps like this is like the 18th time that he's run. It's like, come on, you guys. And and the camera here captured this panel just as he came by for his 18th pass. 
These guys have big old smiles on their faces. They're very excited about the hunt. Next Crucible. Apparently, this is issue, what, 214? There's not been any X-Mail published because they've needed the X, or extra page since issue n- number 198. What? Yeah, just telling you. It says it in the X-Mail column. Like, they haven't had X-Mail in 16 issues because they were using that extra mail page for extra content for the X-Men comic. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. They don't put the letters section in the uh, the trade paperbacks, which is a crying shame. Uh, they used to be in the um, the hard covers, the omnibuses, or the omnibuses. Yeah, I don't know if they still are. I think they stopped adding them to them. So if you get like a first edition of the older ones, you have the letters pages, but I don't think they have them anymore, which is sad. Yeah, that is sad. I need to pick up the. I've been putting it off because it's a little expensive now, but I need to pick up the. Uh, um, I can't remember what they call it, but it includes everything up to Inferno and Inferno. So, so post Fall of the Mutants, it's an omnibus, but yeah, I, I have it. There's two of them though. One of them is Prelude to Inferno, yeah, yeah, and the yeah, other yeah. one I think is just Inferno. Actually, I have both of them. I think Prelude the- to Inferno is sitting out in Amazon for like 50, 60 bucks and Inferno is like out of print and way too expensive. I want to say there's a third one as well that is like all of the periphery Marvel superhero stuff that's happening during Inferno. Yeah. It's like, like what's going on with Spider-Man during Inferno and stuff like that. I did not pick that one up. I, I've said this before. I read the entire Inferno start to finish through some collection, including the Spider-Mans and Thors and Captain Americas and a lot of content. A lot of unnecessary content, too, because I don't know. We'll worry about it when we get there. We will. Uh, But until that time, Adam, do we get any letters? Ah, yes. We did get a uh, a note on the Facebook from... Juan Davila, a very small bit about the Daredevil issue. The kids in that issue were the same kids from the long shot miniseries and regarding kids in the 80s and space helmets. I was a weird kid in the 80s and I also I did own a plastic space helmet and I kind of wore it a lot. I was a very odd kid. I, I probably would have worn it a lot too if I had one. I always wanted to get one of those laser tag helmets. Yeah, those were cool. <laughs> and not even necessarily to play laser tag, but just to run around and be like, um, got my helmet. <laughs> helmets. I guess you're right. Hel- helmets were pretty cool in the eighties, especially if they were like had sharp lines and, and I don't know, triangles and stuff on them. So the, I, I feel like the reason we didn't connect the dots for the, the, of the kids being the same kids is in the long shot. And then the two annuals that we also covered, I, they were, they just, in that issue, they were so different somehow. It should have been obvious, but it wasn't. I think we even commented like, hey, are these the same kids? And we either said no, they weren't, or there wasn't like enough evidence to link the two. Yeah. But hey, I'll, I'll take it from Juan de Villa that, that they're totally the same kids because I don't care. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> uh, it makes sense. It and does. I, I corroborated it with other, other sources uh-huh. that are the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Everything on the internet is true, you know. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Gotcha. So, yeah, if you uh, would like to get a hold of us, correct us, give us more information about characters that are linked from one book to another book, or just, like, in plain English, tell us, like, the whole, not what happens to Madeline, but, like, up until now, like, yeah, the thing we talked about earlier. Do so by visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Danger Room Go. 
Email us, dangerroom at redcapproductions.com. Go out to iTunes, go to the podcast section, type in Danger Room with the first podcast that'll show up. And you can also call and leave us a voice message at 501-GET-X-MEN, which is 501-438-9636. And we will probably play your message on the podcast. Our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfield. We passed 100 uh, five-star reviews in the uh, on iTunes. And I said I was going to reward some people for that. Um, so if you are one of the last five of those reviews, and I, I, I'll, I'll look for next episode to see who they are, but I, I need your real names. If you're cool with that. If not, that's all right. I, I just won't do it. But if I can get any of your names, it's fun. And it's something that we might do on the on the on future episodes too. It's a I came up with a cool idea. Okay. We'll see. Just see how this goes. Still a mystery? It's a mystery to you. It, I, I don't know what, what you're talking about. So let me ask this. But I'll tell you after the show. Oh. But I'm not telling them after the show. <laughs> oh, okay. Let me ask you this. Uh, if if just one of those five people is like, yes, I'm Billy Bob Brown, does your thing still work? Yep. And the other four are like, no, I'm I'm anonymous. That's fine. I'll just do Billy Bob. Okay, awesome. All right, Billy Bob, if you're out there, time to claim <laughs> one of your stars. Yeah, man. Okay. <laughs> um, X Factor number 14 was a continuation, obviously, of X Factor number 13, in which Cyclops was fighting Master Mold, and something was maybe going to happen to Angel's Wings. And we get a lot of talk about the 12, the powerful 12, but really no more details than... The powerful twelve and Psylocke or Cyclops. Well, no, is no, one that's of them. not true. I'm getting we, to there. There's, okay, okay. There's like a like a weird panel of him thinking about the twelve, and the panel is drawn with Cyclops kind of in the middle, and then arcing out from his face, you see Franklin Richards, I assume, Jean Grey, Apocalypse, Storm, and then Mystery Silhouettes Beyond. I think that's Colossus. It could be Colossus. But yeah, I mean it's hard to tell. Yeah. And and I, I guess the same thing as you, Franklin Richards. So uh, it's it's either it's one of two things, and and obviously the way comic books are written, it could go either way. Cyclops is definitely one of the twelve, and these are other powerful mutants, or these other four are part of the twelve. So now we know five of the twelve. It's like Battlestar Galactica. There are only twelve models. <laughs> Uh, so and then we see another panel of Cyclops's head kind of dipping into people all of the people and I guess uh, uh, Master Mold realizes what Stephen Lang never could realize which is all people have genetic X-factor mutations and therefore all people are mutants I wanted to ask you about this does this stick well um, yeah sort of because this seems like it blows everything away. So, well, you got to remember that Master Mold was like shot into space and then crashed down from space and had to like rebuild his body and like download the pre-internet. So he's not like a uh, representative of these Sentinels proper or Nimrod or whatever. Okay. So I'm assuming two two things have to happen. One, nobody ever confirms this that all humans are mutants because that would that would throw the whole foundation of the mutant marvel universe out of whack 
Yeah, I feel though that this is more of a, and it's subject to interpretation because it's pretty vague the way it's written. Is that that there's mutants with powers, and then there's mutants with like you know moles on their neck, right? <laughs> right. Which is a mutation, right? It's a genetic uh, uh, imperfection. So I I take it that Master Mold is sensing even those kind of nuanced imperfections or mutations as true X Factor mutants. Okay. Uh, but hey, it, it, like I said, it's the comics. They can they can do whatever they want to, and they will. I'm also half willing to accept that he's just a crazy robot. He is definitely a crazy robot. And then the way that this panel is juxta- juxtaposed, uh, it could be that the top is just showing us mutants and not necessarily the twelve. And the bottom is showing us humans that also have mutations. That's kind of why I like this panel and the way Cyclops' head is like faded out on top and faded out on the bottom is because what 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 are you trying to tell us? Like it's really open to interpretation, in my opinion. Fair enough. So anyways, um, the cops come to get Cyclops. <clears throat> I don't know. They end up fighting Master Mold. There's a little thing in here where they, they search him. They frisk him. They find his wallet. They find the pictures of Gene and Maddie. And they're like, hey, there was a guy at the police station. I heard it on the wire looking for a redheaded girl. We better show him the body, don't you think? And then he's like, who are these? And he's like, well, that's not my wife. That's Gene. And the other one's my wife. And he's like, they look like they're the same. And he's like, yeah, I, I know. I, I really should have seen that sooner, shouldn't I have? <laughs> Cyclops thinks to himself. Some hijinks with Boom Boom that really is unimportant. Gene and Iceman head down to the hospital. Um, also, it should be noted that Cyclops is kind of having an internal struggle with him and the professor, um, which kind of carries on to the X-Factor kids where they're like, oh, Professor Xavier this, Professor Xavier this. It's always Professor Xavier. So, I don't know. They're just trying to beat that into our heads, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, so anyway, Cyclops takes on the the master mold. The police try to help. One of the police officers gets vaporized, and the other police officer's like, look, you're. I can see you're a mutant. You've got powers. Here's your visor. I'm taking you in after this. Like, you're going to jail, but we kind of got to fight this robot so let's do that uh eventually um well, i'm gonna skip one part uh cyclops is able to trick uh master mold in between a couple of oil refinery things and he blows up and and then he's like a head that's like crawling around which is kind of cool he's just got like an arm and a head uh and cyclops is able to destroy him with more oil i think can't remember exactly how that worked out and then the cop more is more oil yeah and then the cop's like uh well cyclops is like oh well, all right we we did that i guess you got to take me in and he's like what i don't know what you're talking about some big robot blew up that house and and you and me we had got away from the robot after he blew up in this oil refinery right right that sounds wink, good wink. nudge nudge <laughs> meanwhile though there's uh we find out uh, Trish Tilby comes in and, and uh, is trying to interview Angel, who's laid up in the bed, about the X-Factor backing and the court order. And, and Gene and Angel are wondering, like, what, what court order? What are you talking about? Well, we find out later that the court has, uh, since Warren Worthington has no living relatives, remember his father and mother were killed. We covered that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the court i guess was able to determine that he was mentally unfit to make decisions because he was choosing not to have his wings removed even though they were gangrening and if that gangrene spread he would die so the court ordered that he's not of sound mind and body and the best thing for his survival is to have those wings cut off and the end i don't know if it works that way but okay I don't know that it works that way either. Um, but anyways, at the end, they do some surgery, and Gene doesn't know about this. 
as the doctor comes out and says it's complete. And she's like, what's complete? And, uh, well, whatever. It's finished. And may may he forgive us for what we've done. They friggin' cut his wings off. Yeah, man. Um, I would have liked it if it was Cameron Hodge who gave the approval. And it was it was under the idea that, like, Cameron Hodge just felt really uh, bad for his good buddy. And he just wanted to see Angel live through this. But then we learn later something else. That would have probably made more sense. I I don't know if they've realized what they're going to do with Cameron Hodge at this point. There's been some seeds planted, but they don't really amp that angle up for a little bit. But anyways, that's the end of, uh, of X Factor number 14. Well, New Mutants number 50 is a double-sized 50th issue, so I read buckle it. yourselves in. It's good that you read it. A lot of stuff happens. It's a good issue. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely good. It's called Father's Day. Um, starts out with uh, Magic fighting for her life in limbo. It turns out that Sim made a deal with Magus, now carries the techno, like all, all the monsters now have the techno-organic virus, and... Uh, Sim has taken over the throne of Limbo and uh, facing an overwhelming monster attack, she plunges her soul sword into the ground in a last-ditch effort to wipe the virus from Limbo. Uh, It's seen here as sort of a suicidal thing, but then she wakes up at a Starport Bazaar. I found found the the whole uh, Magus slash Sim... um alliance to be pretty interesting because uh this whole sim and the demons having the transmode virus like that's not a one shot like that that's what happens and, and yeah. all of limbo kind of does transform into this like transmode virus which i never knew because i was like well i know warlock has transmode virus and so does magus but why does sim and everybody else in limbo have it and this is why i never knew okay that. so apparently the soul sword is able to somewhat cleanse limbo of not only the uh techno-organic virus, but also of the uh, sor- evil sorcery. It's interesting. So we cut we cut over to a Starport uh, bazaar. So, uh, Professor X is dressed like a G.I. Joe sitting at the bar. He's hanging out with the Star Jammers jamming across the universe, Star Jammers. It's kind of interesting what, what they do here. It's like Chris Claremont's still trying. Like they're on a caper right now. And it's very like Star Wars where like there's humanoids and they're at like a cantina type environment and and corsair is trying to pull a job of some sort they're trying to get repairs for their spaceship because as when they left earth last time or wherever it was they their spaceship got damaged but there's also a huge bounty on their heads because of lalandra's sister is in control of the shiar empire so they're they're, they're keeping undercover. Yeah. Anyway, Professor X detects magic and she's being sold on the slave market. So he goes and attempts to rescue her and binary ends up saving the day. Um, and then the star jammers jamming across the universe, star jammers, um, they return to their ship. And they were unable to acquire any of the parts necessary to be able to leave this area. Yeah. Doesn't so, Corsair yell at the professor a little bit too? Yeah. He's like, what are you doing, you dork? And Professor's like, it was my student. I do what I want. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> so uh, Magic recovers, and then she there's like a thing where she kind of tells the Professor about the Marauders, and she tells Corsair about the Summers baby, which she says, I don't even know his name. They're treating it like a state secret or something, which I think is, I feel like that's Chris Claremont's jab at Louise Simonson. It's like, why doesn't the baby have a name? 
but maybe I'm just reading into that. No, I I think you're right. I thought the exact same thing when I read it. It's been 15 issues of X Factor. Why doesn't the baby have a name? <laughs> yep. Um, she relates the last few of issues of New Mutants, where the New Mutants got separated into different places. Uh, her sorcery powers are gone now because she left her soul sword behind. And the professor thinks they should go and search for the New Mutants. He wants to get back into the action. Landra's kind of like, oh, I'm going to lose him forever, but I got to help my man. So uh, as soon as they leave, the Starjammer ship is attacked. But we'll get back to that. Um it is now Magic who's wearing the G.I. Joe outfit. Mm-hmm. So I guess they have like a exchangeable G.I. Joe outfit. Um, so very quickly, they go to the future where the mutants are the rulers, um, which I, I think uh, I didn't mention last issue is directly related to that time that Magneto joined the Hellfire Club. So there's an implication that this is the future being caused once uh, Magneto joins the Hellfire Club. Huh. Which will be a running theme for the next few issues. Oh, we got to stop Magneto from joining the Hellfire Club. Ah. Um, and then they go to the Days of Future Past world and they, they pick those guys up. It all happens very quickly. It's it's good. It's action. It's fun. Um, then they return and there's a giant two-page spread of Magus attacking the Starjammer ship. It's pretty and awesome. He reminds me of Aku from Samurai Jack. I never watched that. Or maybe Aku from Samurai Jack reminds me of Magus because I guess... It, it did come second. Uh, so the, the the rest of the issue, they basically fight Magus. The professor guides each of the new mutants to use their abilities uh, specifically. And binary also helps. Um, the star jammers are pretty much useless. I kind of felt like this was like a, hey, all you people that were pining for the professor, well, this is what he does. He just mentally tells everybody to do stuff and he amplifies their powers. You don't want him back, do you? <laughs> After this issue, I kind of do want him back. (laughs) He tells people what to do, and he amplifies their powers. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. So Warlock attacks Magus and fails the first time. Um, Binary learns that he can can recharge uh, Warlock, or maybe she already knew. I guess Cypher learns that. Um, Mirage makes Magus see what he fears the most, which is Warlock. And then... um, Karma takes over Magus temporarily now that he's off off the edge or off off kilter because of seeing Warlock. Uh, Cipher and Warlock merge into uh, again, and then they interface with the gigantic Magus. Uh, Cipher can't figure out to what to do, but the professor is who apparently knows what to do um, puts everybody at risk and says, "Just just hang in there. He'll figure it out." Meanwhile, everybody's like, "Are you sure?" He's like, "He'll figure it out." We all might be dead, but he'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, There's a panel where the professor has a Rob Liefeld neck. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, It's on page 35, top panel. Check it out. Hmm. Uh, Cypher figures out the pattern of Magus' DNA, I I guess, and the good guys win because Magus gets sent back to the Technarch and biologically regressed to a baby. Because hey, it worked for Magneto. Sure, he never came it back. Works for uh, works for anybody whose name starts with Mag. Mm-hmm. I have to believe. So all in all, the professor's back, and better than ever. The Magus storyline is over. The new mutants are back to normal. They're all in space now. Whew. Uh, I guess we still have to deal with all that limbo stuff, though. Yeah, and then I guess That's we also where they're going next. We also need to find out um, how or why the professor goes back to space. Space is cool. <laughs> Not saying it's not. So that's it for this week episode 
Not that this episode was weak, but this week's episode. <laughs> That's it for this week episode, everybody. We'll see you next week for another week episode on the Weekly Week podcast. That should be a new podcast we start, Adam. We're so weak. The Weekly Week podcast. All right. Yeah, so until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. Adam.